Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 16, which can be found on page 11 in the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. Before we hear the word of the Lord, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I, <coughs> excuse me, that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went in to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are Elroy, for she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the the well was called Beer El Elroy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. We have heard the word of the Lord. So this passage is coming to us from a series of sermons that I've titled Stories You Have to Know because some of the themes in this passage or the passages we've looked at show up elsewhere in Scripture. But after hearing that passage, it's probably a story you'd rather not know. Right? As I was studying this passage this week, I was very uncomfortable, just very uncomfortable because it brings up so many different issues, problems, questions. And so I began to do some research and 
I will occasionally, if I read an article that I find is very helpful, if that if the person who wrote that article is still alive, I will try to contact them via email and just say like, hey, this is this is what you wrote, this is how I found you, and this is what was meaningful and interesting to me about what you said. And so I contacted Katie Zay, <clears throat> who wrote about this passage on Sojourners.com, and I emailed her and said, you know, in my own way, like, I am in pastoral distress because of this passage. And she said, yeah, because, you know, it's very uncomfortable. Sarah and Abraham never call Hagar by her name. The narrator does. And God does. So that's very important to know. And she said, yeah, you know, this, this passage is overlooked. It's, it's passed over because it's not easy because in many ways, and rightfully so, Abraham and Sarah are considered heroes of the faith. But as we know, no perfect feet walk the path of faith. Right? And so even good people are capable of very bad things. We see it time and time again. And this is what I found in my own Christian walk, that one of the things that I had to unlearn or relearn is that there's only one hero in the Bible. There's only one hero in the Bible, and it's Jesus. And so if you, you know, I grew up like, Abraham's a hero, Abraham's a hero, Sarah's a hero. And then, you know, this doesn't show up in a lot of Sunday school curriculum, uh, you know, you read the story for yourself and you're like, well, I thought Abraham was a hero. This is what heroes do. <clears throat> so, where shall we go from here? Maybe for you to hold on to, in this passage, um, Hagar has an experience of the callousness of people and the tenderness of God. The callousness of people and the tenderness of God. It was a custom, and it was culturally acceptable at that time that if you were rich enough and you were powerful enough, that if you did not have your own son, that you could um, enlist the help of one of your slaves, your concubines. And Hagar is from Egypt. <clears throat> so in chapter 12, this promise comes to Abraham and Sarah, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known, and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you later. And then they end up going to Egypt because of a famine. And Abraham and Sarah do some very stupid things there and end up coming back out, but they end up apparently coming out with the slave, either as a gift or a concession, or they bought her. So Hagar probably does not speak their language. Hagar probably doesn't have the same dialect, the same interests. Hagar was probably born a slave or through horrible circumstances became a slave and they did not have a say to whether or not she would go with Abraham and Sarah. And so, so, so if you remember last week, Abraham says to God in chapter 15, I need an assurance that your promise to me is going to come to pass. And God makes this outstanding promise that says, yeah, you can cut me in half if I don't keep my promise. That's what Abraham heard. And now Sarah comes right after that and says, 
God has prevented me from bearing you a son. I have a slave. So go lay with her, and then maybe she will give you a son. Which was the exact opposite of what God said in Genesis 15. So, Abraham says, okay. So he lays with Hagar. We don't know if it's one time, we don't know if it's a dozen times. And then she knows that she has conceived. She's nauseated, doesn't, you know, on and on it goes. And then Sarah's feelings get hurt because Hagar looks at her in contempt. Okay, of course she looks at you in contempt, right? She has no say. She has no consent. It's a false equivalency, right? You're looking at me wrong. What have you done to me? And so Sarah, out of expediency, put that plan together. And oftentimes, that is what expediency will get you, right? So she starts treating Hagar horribly. And Abraham says, well, she's your slave, so you do with her whatever you want. And so she just treats Hagar horribly. So Hagar is a pregnant woman. How desperate must you be to be willing to walk away from a job and the place like stability and start walking back? Think about the desperation. Because at this point, she doesn't know that she has, that she's conceived a son. And so she probably thinks, what if I give birth to a daughter? How's my daughter going to be treated in this house? Is she going to end up having to do the same thing that I did? Or is she going to have the same experience that I had? Well, eventually she will be sold to another family and ripped apart from her family. And what if I give birth to a son? Who's to say how he's going to be treated? And so it says that she goes back to, uh, and she finds water at a place called Shur, which means that she is going back to Egypt, the one place that didn't want her. So she would rather face the unknown in Egypt than the known. So that's the callousness that she experiences. And then it says, the angel of the Lord came to her and said, Hagar, says her name. You're a servant of Sarah. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And she says, I'm running away. I'm running away. All right, so uh, so this is the tenderness of God, but this is why I emailed Katie, and ended up reading her article, because the question came to me. If God is a God of goodness and justice and mercy, then why would he ask her to go back? Yeah. You feel that? Yeah. Like, why? And we, we get that answer that she's going to have a multitude that for some reason her, her descendants will play an, an important role in the world and God's work. 
And then the angel says, you're bearing a son and he is going to be a wild ass of a man. Now, some of us can say amen to that. Like, hey, that's come true to, you know, in my family. But she takes good comfort in that. It's going to be a wild ass of a man. This is what I think. And this is, this is just me. So put this in parentheses. Do with it what you want. But I think that what is comforting Hagar here is this is that she is just, Sarah is just only thinking about herself and Hagar is thinking about herself and her child. And she says, you know, what's going to happen if I have a daughter? What's going to happen if I have a son? I do not want them to have the life that I have had. And God says he will not have the life that you had. He's going to be wild, which means he's going to be like a Mustang. He will not be ruled. He will not be held in captivity. He will have his own life and he will be free. And so God is in a way saying everything that you've wanted but never been able to experience will be experienced by your son. Things can change. Just think about the sacrifice of Hagar to go back. Because it gets worse, because we'll see in about 13 chapters. It gets worse. And then it says, so she named the, she named the Lord. Doesn't happen very often. In the Old Testament. I think she may be the only one. She named the Lord who spoke to her, You are Elroy. Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? It's very powerful. The Lord sees and the Lord hears, is what she says. So, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, You study the Old Testament, you study the scriptures meaning our Old Testament, thinking that by them you have eternal life. But it is those, those passages that bear witness to me. So in some way, this passage prepares us to meet Jesus. And if you were to put Hagar and Jesus maybe together, you would say that they experienced the same thing, both the callousness of people and the tenderness of God, because Jesus Christ is the tenderness of God toward Humanity. So what do we say? Uh, Mary spoke, the la- she preached the last Sunday of the year, and she talked about Galatians chapter 4, how Paul says that at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. So at just the right time. So that means that there was some kind of intentionality, some kind of knowing that God did that said, this is the right time, this is the right way, this is the right method. And and how did Jesus come to earth? He didn't come to a Roman family, did he? He didn't come to a rich family. He didn't come to a strong empire. He came to the opposite of that. He came to a virgin. He came to a teenage girl. He came and lived in poverty. He came to a people who were under oppression. The upside down kingdom of God is like that. Is it, it just, it works opposite of the world where might is right with Sarah and Abraham. Jesus comes meek and mild. It just works differently. And then unlike Sarah, Jesus did not do the expedient thing. He did the hard thing. 
even his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, when he was giving many, many outs in his temptation, he said no. And then Jesus, when he's in the garden and Peter cuts off that guy's ear, you remember that very interesting story? And he says to Peter, put the sword away. I could call a thousand angels and clear this up right away. Jesus does not do the expedient thing. And if there's anything true and good about Jesus, it's that he knows and he sees. He touches lepers. This would have been like someone living and caring for someone with HIV or AIDS in 1983. He aligns himself with the poor and the marginalized and the people who, for some reason, either don't have it together or they don't have it together because it was taken away from them. And Jesus says, those are my people. A number of times he just sees people and he takes the people from the margins and he puts them in the middle. And then I would say this, and this is something for you to maybe take home for homework. How's that? Since you're in good health and can do it. It's um, the way that you respond to suffering and the way that you respond to the harshness of life that comes at you Um, it doesn't have to be that way for your family. Sometimes families can get stuck in a rut and then we just kind of pass our own stuff off to the next generation and it just piles up. But for somehow in Hagar, God says it's not going to be so. You can't control anybody else, but you can control your own behavior. And so it can be different. God can meet you in that circumstance. I would say also, I meant to say this earlier, uh, I don't know if this passage, actually I doubt, actually I disagree that this passage could ever be summarily used to say you should go back to an abusive situation. That's not the point of the passage. Okay, so I'll just say that. Because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Then I would say this no matter what your circumstance. Just like God said to Hagar, you don't know what the outcome and the blessing of your life is going to be for those connected to you, either in church or work or in the neighborhood. Hagar rightly wants to give up, but God says, Hagar, if you could see it, there are going to be multitudes. There are going to be multitudes. And if you could just see this, I have spent almost a year and a half here, and I can say, that your life has impact far beyond your, your street address. It has impact in your school, in your work. It definitely has impact in this congregation. Never underestimate what God can do in you and through you. Your faithfulness and care touches every life, even lives that have not yet been born. Think about that. And now, a thousand times between now and your last day, you're going to be given a thousand opportunities to side with Hagar or someone else. And I just got to say that the testimony of all Scripture says Hagar. 
to the least of these. That is where we find Jesus. So if you're the least of these, you're the greatest in the eyes of God. And if you care for the least of these, God says yours is the kingdom. So rejoice. Let's pray. God, this is a story we would rather kind of turn the page on and get to the highlights. But your people for thousands of years have said, no, no, let's keep this because we need to be reminded. And so may we, like the angel of the Lord, come and bring good news to those who are suffering, to those who are in pain. And God, this world in so many ways is unfair and unjust. God, would you establish governments? Would you establish churches and organizations that would help right the wrongs? And God, we thank you for the tenderness of Jesus Christ who knows, who sees, and who hears. And may the beauty that we see in Jesus be lived out in our life so that we may soften the callousness of this world and even in our own hearts. But God, we're going to need you to do that for us. So we pray this in Jesus Christ's name and ask for your help. Amen.